Thank you. Thank you. And Maria, thank you so much. I just want to commend what Maria has said to you and the work of heart. I, when I was a uni student, I volunteered uh, in the city that I was in for university with amongst people who were homeless. And some of it was the kind of formal helping out in a in a, a venue that provided meals, but quite a lot of it actually was just hanging out with the guys and sitting out on the streets and sitting on the <coughs> curb and chatting with them and getting to know them. And then volunteered what, what has become Heart many years ago, used to do that here in Chichester. And it, it really is such a valuable thing. So do go and speak to Maria afterwards and thank you for sharing with us. And good morning. Yay, we've become Anglican. <laughs> It'll take more than that. Oh, we, we can try. <laughs> um, so as Rich said, my name is Ruth, and I have had the privilege of this being my home church in all different guises for about 30 years now. And it's been such a, a genuine privilege to walk with the church in all different shapes and forms over those years. Um, and I, my, my day job with Tear Fund, uh, if you don't know about Tear Fund, it's a Christian international development um, relief organization. Uh, keeps me quite busy, so I don't get to speak here as often as, as I'd like to. And, and uh, every now and then I get asked, and, the, and it's too short notice, and I'm like, no, I can't do it. So earlier this year, when Andy had asked again, and I said, no, I'm really sorry, but I feel really bad. I said, look, let's look way in advance, and let's just pick a Sunday and put me in, and I'll speak on whatever is, is on that Sunday. So a long time ago, we booked in, you know, looked ahead, November. It seemed such a long time, and, and here we are. And so I'm really delighted to be able to speak as part of a series that we're doing here. And now I wonder whether any of us actually know that we're doing a series as a, as a church, but we are. We're doing a series around called This Is Us, where we are looking at what does it mean to be us as church? What does it mean to be us as followers of Jesus? What are the characteristics that make us us? And this Sunday, I've been asked to speak around the theme of being made holy in Christ. That is one of the characteristics of being a follower of Jesus, that we are holy. Ooh, I, don't know, uh, I don't know how that makes you feel when I say that. It's not really a very normal kind of word for us, is it? And when I, I told some of my colleagues at work that I was talking about being made holy there was you know lots of sort of laughter around what holy means and gosh what a theme to be speaking on and holiness conjures up very particular ideas doesn't it and in particular it can make us feel a bit negative it has that sense of being holier than thou you know I'm, I'm a very holy person and I go around feeling very self-righteous about how holy I am I want you to put all of that idea around holiness really out of out of your heads because the idea of being holy holy simply means set apart it's something that is set apart for God 
as you go through the Old Testament, the Hebrew scriptures, people might be made holy and set apart for God. You might have instruments in the temple that are holy, that are set apart for God. So it is simply about us being set apart for God and being made holy in Christ. We are set apart for God in Christ. I've been asked to speak on Colossians 2, and I would love it. If you've got a Bible with you, would you open it up to Colossians 2? If you haven't and you've got your phone uh, and you're able to connect to the internet here, I know if you're not, you won't be able to get online in this, in this room probably. If you can get online, do turn to Colossians 2 on your phones. It would be great if you can be kind of following it along with me. So I'll just give you a moment to find that. Colossians 2, this is one of the letters in the, the New Testament that Paul probably, maybe, that Paul wrote to, to one of the churches, the churches to the, the Christians in a town called Colossae. So although it forms a book in our Bibles, originally it was a letter to a bunch of Christians like us. And this is Paul teaching them about some things. So I want to read out some, I'm not going to read out the whole thing, but some parts of Colossians 2. Um, I'm going to start in verse 6, if you've got that in front of you. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. I'm going to go on to verse 9. For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. In him you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands, but your whole self that was ruled by the flesh was put off when you were circumcised by Christ. And having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having cancelled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He's taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. I wanted you, if at all possible, to have those words in front of you so you can read them, because they're pretty complicated, aren't they? And pretty convoluted, and they talk about things that probably most of us wouldn't understand and aren't part of our culture, like circumcision. And, and so you can see that Paul is really speaking to a very particular context there. But these words are so important because they help us understand a bit more about what it means to be made holy, to be set apart in Jesus, in Christ. Because the idea of holiness, of being set apart, 
only works when it is rooted in Christ. And so I want us to, I want to remind us this morning of who Christ is, who Jesus is. We've been singing, haven't we, that name of Jesus over and over again and proclaiming the name of Jesus over our families and over our city, and we've been speaking it out. Well, who is that Jesus who we speak out? We're told who this Jesus is in Colossians 2. I often need reminding when I'm going about my, my everyday life and things are pressured and busy and sometimes boring and mundane. You know, I forget who Jesus is. But Paul tells me in Colossians, for in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. Whoa, that is some statement. All the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. This is perhaps the most succinct description that we get of the divinity of Christ. All the fullness, it's a word that also means completeness, the completeness of, of the Godhead, the completeness of the deity is found in Jesus Christ, this person, this one who we worship. Jesus isn't just a, um, a kind of a, a hint of who God is or a reflection. Jesus is completely God. And this word for deity, actually, theotos, is actually the first, it's the only occurrence that we have of that word in our Bible. So it's a pretty key word, and it's quite a unique word for Paul to, to use. And it means the, the, the fullness, that everything of what God is, everything that makes God God, is found in Christ in bodily form. So this Jesus in whom we are set apart is God in God's fullness. I don't even think I can explain that anymore. It's an incredible statement. And then it goes on to say that he is the head over every power and authority. Jesus is the head of all things. Every ruler is one of, the, one of the Greek words there, arche, which also means the beginning and the origin. If you think in the beginning, it's that same word. Jesus is the head over all beginnings, over all origins. Jesus is the head over all powers, over all authorities, over everything that there is. Jesus is the head. And we affirm here the absolute supremacy of Jesus. Are you getting some sense as we sing and speak the name of Jesus? This is the Jesus that we are talking about. And it goes on later in verse 15 to give us this fabulous picture about how Jesus, having disarmed the powers and authorities, made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. The cross, of course, in human eyes was a complete failure and embarrassment. And yet Paul is saying something else. He's drawing on a picture here of something called the triumph, which was a, a Roman a victory march when the Romans had gone out and conquered 
a territory or a land, they would take the rulers captive and they wouldn't slay them, they would bring them back into the city, into Rome. And so you had this amazing victory parade of the, the rulers, the general, coming back. I actually have got a description of what this would have been like from the Encyclopedia Britannica, I'll have you know. <laughs> Let me read this out to you. A triumph procession would have been like this. The magistrates and members of the Senate came first in the processions, followed by musicians, the sacrificial animals, the spoils of war and the captured prisoners in chains. Riding in a chariot festooned with laurel, the victorious general wore the royal purple and gold tunic and toga, holding a laurel branch in his right hand and an ivory scepter in his left. A slave held a golden crown over the general's head while repeatedly reminding him in the midst of his glory that he was a mortal man. The general's soldiers marched last, singing whatever they liked, and on reaching the temple, the general presented his laurel, along with thank offerings to the image of the god that was in whichever temple they'd gone to. The prisoners were usually slain, and the ceremony concluded with a feast for the magistrates and senate. The, uh, have you got that picture in your mind? That's what Paul is drawing on. This is what, happen this is, what is happening as Jesus is triumphant triumphing on the cross over sin, over death, over the powers, over the rulers and authorities. He's coming back and leading them in this victory procession. This is, so this isn't something small. This is something, let me find my notes for this bit. This is something massive. This is a big show. This isn't a little secret thing to be embarrassed about. But this is bold and courageous, and I think that encourages us in how we live as people set apart in Christ, that we live that victory out in a bold and courageous way. So this is the Jesus in whom we are set apart in Christ. So then secondly, what impact does that have on us? Well, we are people who live our lives in Jesus Christ. As Paul says in, in verses, uh, verse 6, we live our lives in him. This is who we are. And there's, if you've got your Bible, um, just have a look. There's, this, there's a little bit in 9 and 10 that I love. Because Paul has said, for in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And then he goes on and repeats that word fullness and in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. So the fullness that is in Jesus is now the fullness that is in us. Isn't that an amazing mirroring for us of what we see in Jesus? And that happens through our baptism as we go down into the waters and then get raised up into Christ. You may have been baptized as an adult, maybe you were baptized as a, as a baby, and maybe you haven't been baptized at all. And if you haven't, I'd really encourage you to speak to one of the leaders about that. Or maybe you can remember it, or maybe you can't. But, but picture back to that. As you went 
through the waters or maybe had the waters sprinkled on your forehead, you were made into death for all of the things that are not of God. You went through the waters and they washed the things that are not of Christ away. In our baptism, we have put to death the old way of life and we have been raised to new life through God's life in our life. So much life there. That's what we live in. This means, how can I put it? It means you're not ordinary. You're remarkable. You are amazing. Not, not because of anything you've done yourself, but because you have been raised to new life in this amazing Jesus who is the fullness of the deity and, and who has ruled over and made a public spectacle of all the powers and authorities. This is who you, we, me, live in. That means that we are amazing. And so we're called to live our lives out in that way, rooted in him. Can you get hold of what that means for you? You may not be feeling too good this morning. You may be feeling a bit low. Work may have been boring or uni, life, whatever, may have been boring this week. What, whatever life feels like currently, remind yourself that you are alive in Christ and rooted in him. So then, being set apart in Christ has an impact on our lives and on how we live. Paul always, and you can see it in verse 16, Paul always has this little word, therefore. Well, I say it's a little word. In the Greek, it's a little word. It's only three letters. In the English, it's a bit longer. <laughs> but Paul always has this word, therefore. Whenever he's been, he's been sort of expounding this huge, amazing stuff, he always says, therefore, how you live matters. It's not enough just to believe all of that. We then have to walk in it. And what does Paul tell us to do? Well, chapters 2 and 3 have a huge amount in them, and I won't go into it all, but there's a few bits there. We are to live our lives in thankfulness, overflowing with thankfulness, verse 7. I love that. such a good reminder to us. And we're told to put to death whatever doesn't belong to a life in Christ. So that might be about putting to death filthy language, putting to death greed or gossip, putting to death anything that doesn't belong to a life in Christ. And then positively, as chapter 3 goes on to say, we then positively clothe ourselves in the good things of Christ. So how we live our lives matters, and we seek to live lives set apart for Christ at work, at home, in our families, with our friends. If you've been made holy, set apart for Christ, then that must make us look different. We should stick out like a sore thumb. Do you know, we should look different to those who are around us, not in an embarrassing, cringy way, but in a way that kind of matches that victory parade where the victorious generals didn't just creep back into the city, but they walked, they marched back with singing. 
And so we should look different and stick out like a sore thumb. It should be obvious that we live our lives to a different agenda to those around us. And that will be apparent in all sorts of different ways. It may be in our response to those who are seeking refuge in our communities. Maybe that we come with a different attitude to others around us. We see it in what Maria has been talking about. It's no surprise that that comes from churches working together. It might be about the way that we conduct ourselves at work. Maybe it means that we're the peacemakers in our families. It might be making choices to consume less of the earth's resources and to live more lightly on this planet. It might be about not getting drunk when we're out with our friends, our uni mates or our work colleagues. It might be and it will be a myriad of different things that will be relevant to each one of us. But all of that comes from being holy. Not holier than thou, but being rooted in Christ, set apart in him and alive in Christ. So as I finish, let us remember who this Jesus is that we live in. And let us remember who therefore we are as people set apart in him. And therefore, may we go out from here to live lives that demonstrate that Jesus and that look different to those that are around us. Amen. Thank you, Ruth.